Welcome back to Strange Days. The voice is different. My name is Paul Morn and I, along with Kyle Peters and a bunch of others, are pastors in the inner city. And I want to start with a quote from Nikki Gumbel, who helped launch Alpha, which is a massive uh, online experience now that looks to introduce people to the person of Jesus. And he said, mountaintops inspire us, but valleys mature us. Say that again, mountaintops inspire us, but valleys mature us. And we are all right now in a valley. We long to be matured in this process, I hope. I, I hope that all of us, when we say that we aren't going to go back to normal after this, are expressing a deep desire to have the trajectory of our lives change towards maturity. And well, what does it mean to be more mature? I put it to you that a good definition would be that as people, we would be those that spend more time in Jesus' presence, become more like him, that we do what he would do if he was us. That's, that's a, a bit of a mantra that we've kind of developed in the city to say that this is a year of maturity. It's a year that now involves a deep valley, but still the call to being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he'd do remains. And Carl Peters has really served us in the first two weeks of these podcasts by looking at the life of Jesus and picking up the pattern of silence and solitude that he followed. I mean, already this year we looked in Mark 1 at how Jesus spent 40 days in the desert in silence and solitude. He comes back and he has a busy day of ministry. There are miracles. There's, there's the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And what does he do? The very next day, early in the morning, he goes away from the crowds and he once again enters into the Father's presence and practices silence and solitude. You and I are able to come up with many excuses. And I think that often, as the busyness of life and the chaos of life picks up, our times of silence and solitude are the first things to go. But here we have this incredible example of Jesus, God with us, love made visible, who, having spent 40 days in silence and solitude, and after only one day of busyness, prioritizes going back and spending time in the Father's presence. And if he needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? So I recommend going back and looking at what Kyle unpacked over the last two weeks. Uh, for myself, silence is not just about quieting the external voices. It's also an opportunity to hear the internal voices, to allow those to come up and surface. It's something which I haven't really been good at in my life up until now. But what this practice is helping me do is actually better understand my own heart, becoming more aware of those voices that are perhaps causing more anxiety than they should or creating um, lies. I think of how often when we meet each other, we ask each other the same question, how are we doing? And the answer back is quite quick, it's fine. And I think often the reason the answer is fine is because we actually haven't taken the time to listen to what's going on in our hearts and to really recognize the space that we're in. One of the benefits of being in this valley at the moment is chatting to people is it feels like we go deep a lot quicker. People are a lot more aware of what's happening at a heart level because we do know that the answer fine is just not going to cut it anymore. And so silence is one of the practices, but solitude then is the other. And solitude is getting into the presence of God. Solitude is engagement. It's it's a safe place. It's opening yourself up to God. Solitude is when you set aside time to feed and water and nourish your soul. Solitude mustn't be confused with 
isolation or loneliness. No, no, those are experiences which give rise to inner emptiness or to painting a target on your back uh, for the tempter. It's dangerous to be lonely or to be isolated. No, solitude is a place where we're anything but alone. It's the place where we feel most connected to God. So please go and listen to those podcasts and set aside time for silence and solitude. Uh, I'm going to read from The Ruthless Elimination, a book by John Mark, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Harry, a book by John Mark Comer. And he essentially leaves quite a stark choice before us. We're either going to practice silence and solitude or we're not. We're either going to follow Jesus' example or we're not. And one of the consequences of not following his example could be that we would feel distant from God and we'd end up living off somebody else's spirituality. It could be a podcast, it could be a one-page devotional before we rush on and start our days. We also could feel distant from ourselves. We'd lose sight of our identities and callings, get sucked into the tyranny of the urge and not really be able to answer that question, how are you doing really? We might feel an undercurrent of anxiety that really goes away, that sense of always being behind, always having to catch up, never being done. And that can lead to exhaustion where we wake up and despite reaching for all kinds of stimulus of choice throughout the day, we just can't ever catch up on the sleep that we need because there's a deeper kind of tired. And so we often can then choose uh, various escapes of our choice, get a cheap fix, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, a social media feeds, porn. We become an easy prey for the tempter, which of course further creates distance between us, our souls, and God. And that's where emotional unhealthiness sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We're reactionary, and even the slightest trigger comment by someone can spark um, our tempers, and we can sulk, feel angry or sad, or often both. Those are all signs and symptoms of a life without silencing the external internal voices and without seeking God's presence. But on the flip side, John Marcoma says there is an alternative. We can find our quiet places, a morning routine that begins before our little ones are awake, a, a place where we can go away. We take our time here. Maybe in the st at the start, it's only a few minutes. Sometimes that's all we need, but gradually as we enjoy God's presence, an hour isn't enough and we long to spend time with our Creator. We slow down, we breathe, we come back to the present. We start to feel and we get that whole sense of human emotions rise up, not just joy and gratitude, celebration and restfulness, but also probably some sadness, some doubt, some grief, some anger, some anxiety. We face the good, the bad and the ugly in our own hearts. Our worry, our depression, our hope, our desire for God or our lack of desire for God, our sense of God's presence, our presence of His, uh, our sense of His absence, our fantasies, our realities, all the lies we believe, the truth we come home to. Rather than leaking out all these emotions, we expose them in the safe place of the Father's love and voice. And in our ears, we sense His voice cut through the cacophony of all the other voices which slowly flayed the deafening roar of silence. And we come, therefore, to a place of freedom. And so can I encourage each and every one of us, as Carl spoke to us, not to see silence and solitude as a theoretical practice for the truly diligent amongst us, but to see it as something that we are invited into, the consequences of which are glorious if practiced and truly devastating if not. 
What I am going to be focusing on in this podcast is another discipline. For this week, we're going to be looking at the practice of Sabbath. In the passage we just studied in the book of Mark, Jesus had a lot to say about Sabbath. But the one line which was really important was that Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath is a gift given to us, not something that we have to ritualistically fulfill. It's very important that we understand that our culture is very different to the culture then. I think most of us don't believe that Sabbath is necessary, don't really have a deep understanding of what it is, and we certainly don't practice it, I think, in a manner that Christ would commend to us. Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is an opportunity. Sabbath is an invitation. And so over the next few days, we are going to be looking at this practice, having delved into silence and solitude and having put that... The, the new practice in our lives uh, call us now to consider this new Sabbath rhythm that we might also look to get going during lockdown. The valley is a place for maturity. And Christ has much that he would teach us in this time. And so Father, as we sign off today, we thank you for the truth that your presence fills us and your presence changes all the other hours of our day. And so as we learn these rhythms of silence and solitude, we pray that you will also start to open us up to the new rhythm of Sabbath, to the great invitation that it offers us. And that in this valley, we would know your presence and that we would grow in maturity is our prayer. Amen. Welcome back to Strange Days, and we are shifting gear away from the spiritual practice of silence and solitude, and we'll be focusing on the spiritual practice of Sabbath for the next four episodes. Jesus Christ, speaking uh, to a crowd, in particular Pharisees, said this. He said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The people hearing it needed to hear the second part of the sentence, that Man mustn't scurry around trying to keep rules and regulations as if they are the end goal. No, no, the end goal is always to love God and to love people. They needed to hear that second part of the sentence, not man for the Sabbath. But I'd suggest that today we need to hear the first half of the sentence that Jesus uttered, that Sabbath was made for man. In other words, this fourth commandment is set aside as a gift, an invitation, an opportunity for us if we receive it to better love God and to better love others. And so for the next four episodes, we're going to be looking firstly today at why Sabbath. Tomorrow, the the obstacles to Sabbath. We're then going to set aside some time on how to plan your Sabbath. And then finally, just some practical tips and hits from the road as the Mourn household has been learning from others and has been trying this out for a while. Before I start, I want to have this story first in our minds. John Altberg starts his book, Soul Keeping, with it. I'm sure it's a bit of an analogy. He essentially tells the story of the Swiss Alps in a village, with clear water flowing through it, the kind of water that you buy at international airports in, in bottles. And they have a keeper of the streams who kind of makes sure that they don't get filled up with leaves or clogged up with branches. And he goes around doing his business for years, just keeping the water pure. But eventually the town council meets and they need to make some budgetary cuts and they say, you know what, this person isn't really necessary anymore and they offer him a package and he no longer does his job. And it's fine for a while, but slowly but surely the leaves 
build up and the branches clog things up and the water loses its crystal clear quality. And it doesn't take long before people are starting to get sick in the village and the polluted water is no longer a blessing but a something of a, of a harmful um, impact is had on the people. The council quickly convenes and reappoints the keeper of the streams. And as you can imagine, the quality increases and life continues to flourish with the stream being kept pure. Ortberg then ends the story with this line. He says, your soul is the stream, you are its keeper. Let me say that again. Your soul is the stream, you are its keeper. There's an invitation from God here to partner with him to keep our souls pure, to keep them in a place of receiving from him and being able to give in a way a way, the love that we receive to others. It's a stunning analogy because if you're like me, you've perhaps thought that your main role is to just understand things better, to gain in knowledge. And I'm not against gaining in knowledge and reading scripture and understanding who God is. But there's also this real responsibility to keep our souls, to embrace these spiritual practices like silence and solitude and Sabbath, such that we are able to enjoy God and to enjoy others, to love God and to love others. So the invitation to Sabbath is there. Will we keep our souls? Uh, it's our responsibility as we come before God now to learn and to train in these practices. Now, why, why, why is Sabbath so necessary today? I would suggest it's because we are incredibly busy. To take 24 hours out to rest and delight in God, to cease and to celebrate, to declare God is in control and to declare that he is good. It's incredibly hard because we are just incredibly busy. You know that the Chinese take two characters to form one picture for busyness. And the two characters they put together are the heart and killing. The heart and killing. Isn't that stunningly incisive? The heart is the place where the busy, busy life exacts its steepest toll. Wayne Miller wrote a book on Sabbath and he said, you know that the successful life, and he put successful then in inverted commas, has become a violent enterprise. We make war on our own bodies, pushing them beyond their limits. War on our children because we cannot find enough time to be with them when they're hurt and afraid and need our company. War on our spirit because we're too preoccupied to listen to the quiet voices that seek to nourish and refresh us. War on our communities because we're fearfully protecting what we have and do not feel safe enough to be kind and generous. War on the earth because we cannot take the time to place our feet on the ground and allow it to feed us, to taste its blessings and give thanks. Perhaps this will help audit your own heart. A question that I get from uh, Mark Buchanan's book, The Rest of God. He, he asks this question, how much do I care about the things I care about? How much do I care about the things that I care about? You see, when we lose concern for people, for Christ, for friendship, for truth, beauty, goodness, when we cease to laugh when others are laughing or weep when others are weeping, when we hear news of trouble among our neighbors and our first thought is, oh, I hope this isn't going to involve us. Essentially, when we stop caring about the things we care about, that's a signal that we're too busy. We've let ourselves be consumed by the things that feed our ego but starve the soul. It's true that busyness kills the heart. So the question we ask is, is there a spiritual practice that when we look to the life of Jesus, we could learn uh, about? Is there something that Jesus offers us? And the answer is yes. Yes, it's the practice of Sabbath. Lauren Winner, in her book, Madhouse Sabbath, remarked on the different wording of the fourth commandment that exists in Exodus and then in the book of Deuteronomy. 
In the book of Exodus, there's a call for us to remember the Sabbath, this 24 hours of ceasing and celebrating God. In Deuteronomy, the call is to observe the Sabbath. There's some slight variations here. You see, when you read the Exodus account, you see that Sabbath is grounded in creation. We are given that example of God himself, although he didn't need to, resting on the seventh day, demonstrating to us what it means to be made in his image. Exodus remembers Eden, this creation that God has uh, made to love and to inhabit. And in Exodus, Sabbath keeping is then all about imitating that divine example and receiving divine blessing. But in Deuteronomy, there's a different emphasis. Deuteronomy grounds Sabbath in liberation. Deuteronomy doesn't remind us of Eden. It reminds us of Egypt where we had to slave away for Pharaoh, where it was all about accomplishing for Pharaoh and accumulating for Pharaoh. In Deuteronomy, we're reminded that God has liberated us from that way of thinking. It's about taking hold of divine deliverance and observing divine command. So Lauren Winner, um, noticing this variation between remembering the Sabbath in Exodus and observing it in Deuteronomy, she, on reflecting upon it, is reminded of a rabbinical insight that the three days that follow Sabbath are meant to be spent in reflection upon. In other words, remembering what Exodus calls us to do the Sabbath that just passed. And then the next three days leading up to Sabbath are meant to be in preparation or observing the Sabbath that is to come. In other words, Sabbath then makes claims on all the other days of the week, but none on it. As rabbis are fond of saying, more than Israel ever kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath kept Israel. As the people of God reflected on this creator God, this liberator God. So they look back on the Sabbath just gone and look forward to the Sabbath to come. They were able to carry Sabbath rest and peace into all that they did rather than a busyness that robbed them of the presence of God. Mark Buchanan in his book mentions that we can get this wrong because we sometimes don't understand what Sabbath really is. He says that the rest of God, the rest God gladly gives so that we might discover that part of God we're missing is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It's sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores, the fulfillment of all our obligations. It's the rest we take, smack dab in the middle of them, without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. So why Sabbath? One of the reasons is because we require a new orientation towards God, a reminder of who God is. And we also probably need a new orientation towards time. You see, to keep the Sabbath well, it's both the day and an attitude for all the rest of the days of the week. We have to think clearly about God and freshly about time. We likely at some level need to change our mind about both. Unless we trust God's sovereignty, we won't dare risk Sabbath. And unless we receive time as abundance and gift, not as a ration and a burden, we'll never develop a capacity to savor Sabbath. So this week is an invitation to soul keeping, to taking our souls and adopting new practices that bring us into the presence of God and allow Him to shape us. 
Rule in busyness, we invite margin into our lives. Not hurry, we look for slowness. Instead of noise, we look for quiet. Instead of isolation, we long for deep relationships with our creator especially. We don't want distraction, we want delight. We don't want envy, we want enjoyment. We don't want confusion, we want clarity. Instead of greed, we want gratitude. Instead of discontentment, contentment. Instead of anxiety, trust. And instead of working for love, we work from love. And we start to see that our work is not about accumulation and accomplishment, but it's about a contribution that we're invited to make. So Father, as we go on this journey from restlessness towards restfulness, as we need to get trained in keeping our souls before you such that we can love those in our lives, that we can respond to the greatest commandment of loving the Lord our God and also loving everyone like we would be loved. God, would you teach us these spiritual practices of silence and solitude and now freshly Sabbath. God, we don't want this to be theoretical. We would long for you right now to fill us with your peace and your presence and you would train us as we go into this week. Come and teach us what it means to carry your presence with us, we pray. Amen. Welcome back to Strange Days. And before we get started, I want to share a little story with you. The first podcast recording took place in our lounge during the kids' alone time. I'd missed the gap during screen time to get it all done in one take. And I really was trying to keep my voice quite down and get get all my words perfect. I was nervous of kids walking in and ruining the recording. And I've often got feedback from my wife, and I think she's totally right, that my voice notes and those kind of recordings, I can be quite intense. I lack emotion. I'm just trying to just trying to get a message out in kind of deadpan words and I could recognize that's very much how that first podcast was recorded and I heard her feedback I knew it but I felt kind of trapped by the conditions I was like well that's as good as it gets and I'm just going to soldier forth and then she gave me a great idea she said why don't you rather go down to the car in the basement and record from there and wow that's what I've been doing it's like my life has changed and I used that as an example right at the start because I think we know a whole bunch of stuff about life, but it's not good enough. It's, it's insufficient. I knew I should be engaging with my podcast and something different, but I felt trapped. I didn't see a different way until I was able to take my whole body down to a new space and experience a huge amount of flourishing. Paul, what, what's this got to do with Sabbath? Well, I think Sabbath, 24 hours every week, is a different space that we can take our whole bodies our minds, our souls to, and we can place ourselves in that space where we cease and say, God, you're in control, and we celebrate and say, God, you are good. See, it's not good enough just to know about it. We need to actually take ourselves and put ourselves in that place. And so it's a provocation right at the start here. It's just as I was able to go and sit in my car now, you're able to go and put yourself into this 24-hour block of time. Make it your goal this weekend to at least try that and to plan it. See, Jesus longs for us to come alongside him and to learn from him as his apprentice. Remember this invitation from Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus 
doesn't offer us a mattress. He doesn't offer us an escape. He offers us something far better. He offers us equipment, this yoke. He offers his apprentices a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity with ease at his side, like two oxen in a field tied shoulder to shoulder with Jesus doing all the heavy lifting at his pace, slow, unhurried, present to the moment, full of love and joy and peace. He offers us the practices of silence and solitude and and Sabbath, not as activities to keep us busy, no, but as opportunities to come alongside him to enjoy his presence. These things are just tools for a task. They're equipment to get us into his presence and to experience the easy yoke and the light burden. But you're right in saying, Paul, that sounds fantastic, but there are going to be a lot of obstacles to that, and that's what we're going to tackle today. And one of the big obstacles is how to plan for this, and that's what we'll do tomorrow. And then finally, we'll be looking at some practical advice and some inspiration in our last episode. Let's dive into obstacles. I think the biggest obstacle actually does start with our thoughts. We just have a poor understanding of what Sabbath is. I think a big one that used to trip me up for years was I felt that it was something I could only earn after six days of hard graft. If I'd managed to get through everything, my to-do list, my accomplishments, then then Sabbath could be had. But otherwise, I'd have to just skip it that week. It's just not going to happen. It's a poor understanding because Sabbath is this gift. And I want to remind us of a quote from Mark Buchanan yesterday from his book, The Rest of God. He says, the rest of God is something he gladly gives so that we might discover that part of God we're missing. It's not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It is sheer gift. It is a stop work order in the midst of work that's never complete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores. No, the fulfillment of all our obligations no, it's, it's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Poor understanding of Sabbath being as something we have to earn is, is going to trip us up. It's going to be a big obstacle. Secondly, we can have this obstacle that we confuse Sabbath with the day off. Walter Brookhamans in his book on Sabbath calls this thinking a uh, the bastard Sabbath, the strong language. But what he's saying is that Sabbath is not a day to run around doing a whole bunch of tasks that we didn't get to during the week. This unpaid work that keeps us busy. I mean, there are long lists here of DIY around um, the home. There's laundry, there's bills that need to get paid, there's um, things that need to get planned. No, no, no. The idea is to take a 24-hour block of time and to cease entirely both paid and unpaid work as a reminder and as a trust that God in control. Uh, another obstacle, thirdly, is that we confuse Sabbath with leisure. We, we've been waiting for the weekend, maybe, and we've imbibed this phrase, work hard, play hard. Very modern cities are pretty much designed around those two principles, to help people work hard and to help people play hard. And so Sabbath gets swept aside because we're so busy playing hard. The danger with this is that Sabbath then becomes something which is no longer sacred it's literally a vacation it's literally a vacating or an evacuation as one commentator said this mantra that we need to play hard play hard can become something that enslaves us and exhausts us demanding from us more than it gives god's not against pleasure but without taking 24 hours to cease and to celebrate rather than running around trying to trying to get our weekend all 
huge impact before work comes again, it's going to be an obstacle to really understanding what the Sabbath is about. I think, fourthly, another obstacle is we just don't know how good Sabbath is. I mean, we just lack experience. Sabbath might just remind us of just many boring Sundays. And we might even say, you know, but Paul, I'm not under the law, so I'm not even vaguely interested in this. And I, I hear you if that's been your experience, but what if? What if practicing the way of Jesus could reveal that Sabbath is way much better than we ever imagined? At least give it a try if this is the obstacle that trips you up. Another big obstacle is that we just don't plan well for Sabbath. There are no clear boundaries. It's not really a game plan. I think of practically for us, often on Saturdays, there are kids' parties. There's all kinds of demands, and, and this is a very important step, and that's why we'll look at it tomorrow. And maybe just a comment on all these obstacles. It's just that when you are taking Sabbath, you are moving in the opposite spirit to the world. That's just true. And as soon as you move opposite, you come up against um, difficulties. It, it is hard. And we must be prepared to get it wrong and to kind of keep trying in this practice. It's not going to come easy. And so the encouragement that these obstacles aren't going to be swept away in kind of one podcast, but there's something we're going to have to always consider and work to help each other navigate. So Sabbath is a gift. It's a different space we can take ourselves into. And there are all those practical things I've mentioned, but I would suggest that there are two underlying reasons why we really struggle with Sabbath. And the first one I've really alluded to in previous podcasts, but it's just that busyness just destroys um, the practice of Sabbath. We don't take the time to remember God and the confusion that results, we forget who we are. The broken piece of our lives just remains scattered everywhere. Mark Buchanan uh, mentions in the rest of God that the Swahili word for white man, Mzungu, literally means one who spins around. He comments that that's how East Africans often see Westerners, turning themselves dizzy, a great whirl of motion without direction, where flurries of going nowhere. Reflecting on that, can I suggest something to you? That busyness actually doesn't work. Well, the truly purposeful have an ironic secret. They, they manage their time less and pay attention more. The most purposeful people often, oh, I mean, they will sometimes lapse into drivenness. But the distinguishing mark of the purposeful is not time management. It's that they notice. They're fully awake. See, we're still called to live full lives, to pour ourselves out in loving God and loving others. But in so doing, we are invited also to carry a Sabbath restfulness in the presence of God. True restfulness is a form of awareness, a way of being in life. It's living ordinary life with a sense of ease, gratitude, appreciation, peace and prayer. So busyness is an obstacle. But secondly, it could be legalism. That this podcast got you so excited because you can add an extra practice to your life but miss the point entirely see there's an attraction to legalism and it's got its own sort of inherent rewards it feels good in a perverse sort of way strokes our egos fills us up with the pleasure of achievement knowing we spelt all the words correctly in such a nice tidy handwriting as well that we exercised enough to get our smoothie this week and you know it's even better if we can accomplish uh, sabbath uh, practice where others fail doing it. It's like winning a race. It wouldn't mean half as much. Indeed, it wouldn't mean anything if our triumph didn't imply other people lost. See, the secret emphasis um, in legalism is, is just competitiveness. The point's not just to win, it's to beat 
everyone else. If that's your motivation behind Sabbath, it's going to leave you dry and it's going to leave you empty. Busyness, you won't even try it. Legalism, you'll try it every week, but you'll miss out on the joy because you secretly are looking left and right at all the people who aren't doing Sabbath and feeling as if your achievement is somehow earning you satisfaction, but it won't. So there will be obstacles. And can I just say that as you start practicing Sabbath, you will be bad at it when you start. And that's to be expected. I remember when I started a new course at UCT, my boss told me, you know, Paul, 30% of this is going to need a change. We just don't know what 30% that is. So as we give ourselves to this practice, as we create new space for ourselves to slow down this weekend, may we trust that God's going to train us, give us the equipment we need to experience his yoke as easy and his burden as light. And we're going to need to change our thinking as we go along, but that's, that's fine. So Jesus, we thank you for this promise of equipment, this yoke as we apprentice ourselves to you. We thank you that Sabbath is a gift. And we do have all these obstacles, God, in our thoughts, uh, practical things that we get tripped up in. And we do pray now that as we prepare for Sabbath, this weekend, that you would help to remove obstacles, come and clarify our thinking by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Welcome to Strange Days. This is Paul speaking from his car in the basement. I'm just delighted to be connecting with you today. We're talking around planning the Sabbath. Remember, the idea in these strange days is to go deeper as disciples of Jesus, to allow the renovating work of the Holy Spirit to be active in our lives and Jesus was the one who said Sabbath was made for man and so there's something of a gift an opportunity an invitation for us to practice Sabbath and so maybe get a pen and paper and think about how you're going to plan Sabbath this weekend this is not a theoretical thing we want to be doing Sabbath well together and one of the aspects which Leanne and I found in our own lives was that the lack of planning for Sabbath was a massive problem we charged through the week we collapse over this kind of finish line and leave Sabbath a little bit disappointed that we were actually a little bit tired, maybe a little bit grumpy around how we'd spent our time and certainly hadn't been intentional. Now, in preparation, thought about this analogy. I don't know if you've heard of this mystical Christian experience that is meant to happen once a week. It's um, for married couples and it's going to keep your marriage going forever. It's called the date night. And you would often leave these nights absolutely exhausted firstly um, we wouldn't have them that frequently and then when we did it was almost like all the stuff you'd swept under the carpet finally had opportunity to come out and date night pretty quickly turned into fight night where you'd have these kind of robust conversations around everything and you dreaded actually organizing a date night because you knew that's where it would end up and then you have those honest chats around man this isn't working why are we different to everyone else and you slow down and say, you know, for our stage of life, maybe we should try breakfasts rather, where we're able to give each other our best. Maybe maybe we can have sleepovers. We're fortunate to have family in the city. We can drop our kids off and, and then go to bed and just sleep. And then when we wake up, have a date. The final little thing we managed to think about was to drop our kids off at 4 p.m. at some of our friends' houses. We then have a date from 4 to 7, pick our kids up, they're already in their pajamas, we drop them off for bed and we continue the date at home. Honestly, incredible. And then next week, those parents can drop their kids off with us. I mean, if you're looking after three kids or five kids, it doesn't make much make a difference. 
and you release another couple to just live in the freedom of a date instead of crazy. Honestly, that is a pro tip that has changed our life. Why am I starting with that? Well, I'm saying that we needed to have some honest conversations just about how bad our date nights were. Those conversations then led us to plan better. And now we're living in a new freedom as far as date nights are concerned. I suggest it might be the same with Sabbath. As we deepen and understand, we have some honest chats around what our practice of Sabbath has been. We'll say, you know what, we can do this better. Let's sit down and let's plan and let's get get aware of a new day that could be dawning here. So, that encouragement, let's get planning our Sabbath. The first step is to identify a 24-hour period. Now, that, may, that obviously is, is kind of crucial. And for us, Sundays are quite busy. So, we identify a period that's before that. We start on Friday at 6 p.m. and go through to Saturday at 6 p.m. You might want to start on Sunday morning and go through to Sunday night or maybe Saturday 6 p.m. to Sunday 6 p.m. But the idea is to work out for you what would make the most sense and identify that as your Sabbath day. Secondly, try and have a day off beforehand. So as I mentioned before, day offs and Sabbath are not the same thing. A day off is for getting all that unpaid work done. It needs to get done, all the life admin or adulting as they call it. And also, if you're going to be doing Sabbath well, you need to be making final preparations for that. Maybe it's buying food, buying tickets, um, thinking through what Sabbath's going to look like. I think for um, for people who are involved in paid work, it's an important time to just review how did the week go? Have you got everything that needed to get done done? When you go back to work, can you pick it up well? Have you got an idea, a game plan? I think of those who practice uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done, it's a great time to do your weekly review sometimes where you do a sweep of the week and make sure you're ready to go. But the idea is that you use that day off to to end. You're never going to get everything done, but you at least know what you didn't get done, right? And so you can start again when you start working with that list of things that need to have the next step actioned on it. So identify a 24-hour period, have a day off beforehand, and now Sabbath arrives. And essentially to plan it, I'd suggest there are two questions. Is it rest? And is it worship? Is it rest? Or is it worship? If it doesn't answer yes to one of those, then it's probably still a good thing. It just needs to go into the other six days of the week. And remember to include the whole family if you are in a family context so that you all are able to answer those questions. Is it rest or is it worship? So is it rest? Remember, this is a time for ceasing, both for paid and unpaid work. You are declaring with your body that the Lord reigns. You're taking your body into a new space of saying, I will not be engaging with work emails. I will not be running around frantically trying to get to-do lists and projects done. I'm going to be declaring with my body, the Lord reigns. He runs the universe. I do not. Is it restful? Would mean that whatever the Sabbath looks like, you would feel energized afterwards. You wouldn't feel exhausted. If you're exhausted, you're doing it wrong. Maybe an example from my life, I, I am not a professional athlete. I'd imagine if you are a professional athlete, it isn't restful to exercise on Sabbath, right? That's what you do with other six days of the week. So this would be a day for you to rest. But I'm not. And so I exercise. In fact, I love my park run. But I got it wrong when my competitive juices kicked in. And I tried to get a PB every time. And I would collapse on the couch for the rest of the day. Absolutely exhausted because my heart rate had, had rocketed for my five-kilometer run. Leanne would say, I don't mind you going to park run for an hour. But what I do mind is the kind of lack of parenting that takes place as you collapsed on the couch. And so... You see, it's a subtle thing. It might be something that, for me, is great and delightful. But if it leaves me exhausted, it probably doesn't belong on Sabbath. So is it rest? Is it rest? That's us declaring the Lord 
rains, I don't, so I can rest. The second filter, do something could come into your Sabbath, is this question, is it worship? Is it worship? Now, we're talking way more than just um, the worship band you love to listen to. It includes that, but it's more than that. It's, it's a pausing saying, God is good. God is good at saying, God, you have created all this abundance. Music is your idea. Culture is your idea. Poetry is your idea. Theater. Um, you know, there's, there's so much in creation that I can, I can enjoy. The fact is that you often picture your kingdom as being one of feasting. And, and it's interesting that in the early church, the one thing you would never do is fast on a Sabbath, precisely because this was a time for feasting. Something I've realized is that in order to really enjoy Sabbath feasting and worship, sometimes you've got to live the rest of the days a little bit more simply than you did. Um, that you maybe store up some treats, that new album you want to listen to, that particular dessert you enjoy, but you, you store it up and say, this is what we're going to enjoy with our Sabbath. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to share some stories from the Mormon family, but that's something we've really realized, is that actually to truly feast, we need to be pleasure stacking all the different things we enjoy and align just a deep gratitude for God to be with us as we complete Sabbath. Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, has this to say. He says, do you play enough? Do you risk enough and bask in God's creation enough? And do some things for no other reason than you'll be dead soon enough anyhow. So why not live a little? If there's one God of the age that Christians especially pay homage to, it's the God of utility. It's the God of utility. It's the God that demands you know, why are you doing this? Is this efficient? Is this an effective time, usage of your time? I, I pay homage to that God as an as a achiever in the strength finders or a competitive achiever in Enneagram type number three. I love doing things on purpose. With a, and, and, and for me, I've, I'm an under-celebrator. And so I have to, in Sabbath, purposefully stop and say, I'm doing this because I love doing this because it's delightful. Remember God when choosing the people of Israel, said, I love them because I love them, right? That's the point. I love doing this thing because I love doing this thing. It reminds me of who God is. Those are the kind of conversations we want to be having. What, what brings you deep delight in God? What gives you deep rest in God? And those two phrases, the Lord reigns and God is good. The Lord reigns and God is good. If you can soak yourself in that for 24 hours and plan your day such that you pleasure stack it and you rest it through, that for the rest of the six days, when someone comes to you in distress, you can say, the Lord reigns. When someone comes to you just full of sorrow, you can say, God is good, because you've experienced that yourself. The final step I would suggest in planning your Sabbath is to review your Sabbath. So having gone through it, to sit down and say, man, what, what, what do we think of that Sabbath? Was it restful? Was it worshipful? And a reminder that as we start out, 30% of it will need to change, and some variety is always going to be good. So let's, so let's review and be honest around what worked, what didn't, and come back to planning the next Sabbath with all those learnings in mind. Uh, I'm reminded of last quote from Mark Buchanan where he says, I submit this is Sabbath's golden rule. Cease from what is necessary, embrace that which gives life, and then do whatever you want. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Herschel reminds us in closing that why are we doing this? Why are we practicing Sabbath? Why are we planning to do Sabbath? He says it's because it's a foretaste and a heralding of eternity. Its joy is precisely this. It rehearses heaven. This too is what the writer of Hebrews says in a passage um, when he says the rest we experience in Sabbath is only preliminary. It is an anticipation 
as a shadow is of reality, of a rest that never ends. So God, I thank you. Right now, we might just be a few honest conversations and a few careful moments of planning in your presence away from a much deeper and richer experience of Sabbath. God, right now, would you help us prepare by your Spirit? You'd help us find a deeper rest in you, a deeper delight in you. God, we confess that we've probably done it badly and we've tried to just think our way into your presence, but God, we delighted to now start planning a 24-hour period where we can place our bodies in a totally different space and carry that Sabbath rest for the rest of the week. Invite your work amongst us. Amen. Welcome back to Strange Days and today we're going to wrap up this mini-series on the spiritual practice of Sabbath by looking at the good, the bad, the ugly of the practices of the Mourn household, what my family's been up to as we've been learning the way of Jesus. And I want to remind us that in these strange days, we are setting aside time to grow in our maturity and grow in our ability to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and do what he would do if he was us. And one of the authors I highly commend to you, Dallas Willard, has written extensively. And the one book I really recommend is The Divine Conspiracy. We looks at Matthew 5, 6, 7. He talks about what it means to live in the kingdom that Jesus is ushered in. What it means to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in Cape Town as it is in heaven. Dallas Willard, commenting on Jesus' promise of an easy yoke and a light burden, says that there's a, there's a secret of the easy yoke. And To quote Dallas Willard, he says, The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Willard continues, he says, Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. I put it to you that very often when Jesus has declared, I'm the way, the truth and the life, we give a lot of airtime to Jesus as the truth. And that's right, he, he is the truth. But then we don't pay attention to the way of Jesus, such that the life of Jesus never quite materializes. Eugene Peterson once wrote about uh, Jesus' metaphor of being the way. To quote him, he says, The Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. But Jesus is the truth gets far more attention than Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way is the most frequently evaded metaphor among the Christians whom I have worked with in 50 years as a North American pastor. So what we're hoping to do in this time is to simplify our lives around Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And practicing the Sabbath is something Jesus did. And so it's something that we want to explore as well. So let's wrap it up by looking at the good, the bad, the ugly of the Mourn family practice of Sabbath. Some big disclaimers right up front is obviously that this is stage of life dependent. You need to maybe take from this um, what is helpful for your stage of life. We've got at the moment a seven, five, and three-year-old. We live in a flat. We pastor um, along with a whole bunch of great people, a congregation in Greenpoint and in Seapoint. And so this makes sense for us at this stage of life now. 
also would say that we are privileged economically, but that doesn't mean that Sabbath is only for those in that position. I just remind you that Sabbath is is uh, alluded to not just in reference to creation, but remember it was also referenced in um, Deuteronomy as far as the Exodus is concerned, that the slaves, everyone was set free from the grip of Egypt and Pharaoh. And Sabbath should not be associated with spending loads of money, but it is for all of us to rest and to delight in. So those are some disclaimers, but let's get into it around, maybe let's start with ugly, the, the kind of 24 hours of terrible Sabbath moments in the Mourn household. I would uh, probably say that the week would start with absolutely no planning, we're running around frantically trying to save the world, um, probably it's almost hit 7 o'clock, the kids have already eaten supper and we remember, oh my gosh, it's Friday, this is supposed to be Sabbath time. We grab a candle, there's a fight over who gets to light the candle, there's tears, the parents lose their nuts, we send everyone to bed and kind of just can't believe um, it's gone so badly, but hey, we'll try again next week. We've kind of given up on day one. We maybe then um, over-entertain, we try and numb ourselves by just watching a series or a movie, we have a late night, and unfortunately for us, one of the kids is sick and they wake up early the next day. We can't cope with that, so we pop them in front of a screen. Maybe I haven't really been diligent in my preparation, so I have to quickly grab some um, slides and try to get my sermon um, uh, sort of looking good on PowerPoint. But I'm just going to do it quickly, and then, I, then we can relax afterwards, and we can be with each other as a family. I eventually surfaced, and I said, Jeez, I need to go do parkrun. It's almost 8 o'clock, and Leanne's going, well, Jeez, I've had the kids. What are you doing? And we then have a robust discussion and carry a bit of bitterness towards each other throughout the rest of the day. We, however, don't have time to really um, go down too much of a bit of road because we've got kids' parties, maybe three of them, with a family lunch squeezed in between. And we attend all of these dutifully. And when we are there, we're those great people that just talk about how busy they are and what the next thing is we've got to rush off to. In other words, incredibly boring people to be with. And why did we end up in the situation where we never had the courage to plan properly and just to say no to some good things, but they are all stacked on top of each other and are causing us pain. Eventually, we managed to get the kids through the day and pop them into bed and after a frantic search for a babysitter we're off again for another function in the evening not not at all feeling rested or delighted at the end we just can't wait for sunday to start where we at least can can drop the kids off at kids rock and spend the day at a less frantic and exhausting pace don't know if you can identify with any of that but that's the ugly of the morn household what what would the good look like what would 24 hours of peak Sabbath in the morn household look like? I think, firstly, we've prepared for it. We reviewed the last Sabbath. We've kind of made our mistakes. We changed that 30%. We've talked about it as a family. And before committing to anything on the Sabbath, we've decided together. It means saying no to a lot of things. It means, for our stage of life, looking at all those kids' parties and needing to decide, is this a what we would call like a core kid, a very close mate of our, our friends, uh, of our kids, or, or not? Uh, it's looking closely at sports and all kinds of um, invitations that come our way. It does mean saying a no to a lot of different things. And our grid we use is to say, is it rest and is it delight? We also have coined a little phrase with our kids where we talk about family Friday fun day. Family Friday fun day and we're fortunate that it's our day off. And so we use that day off wisely to get all the things done to prepare and then to pick up our kids from school. And so we're already getting them into our mindset. This is a time set aside for us as a family to enjoy God together. 
We start at six o'clock with some candles. Instead of one candle with that confide over there, three little candles. They light it. We talk about it. We talk about Jesus being the light of the world. We have a meal together where we sometimes invite others into the Sabbath occasion with us. We share weekly highs and we encourage each other around the table. And then we try and have a little bit of a treat of a dessert. It doesn't have to be over the top. I know everyone's baking banana bread during lockdown, so that could be an option. Or maybe a hot chocolate with a little Easter egg floating on top. Um, something you wouldn't normally have. It's like a little spoil of a dessert. We generally have an early night. Then we read the faraway tree to the kids. We read the Bible. We go and pray, put them into bed. And Leanne and I might treat ourselves to a little lockdown comedy show, which only costs 50 bucks or um, a little show we like enjoying or a movie we've been waiting to see. But the idea is that it's not a late night and we pretty quickly get into the incredible spiritual practice of sleep and rest. For us, it works not to wake up for an alarm the next day. Hopefully the kids are all competing to be the sleeping champion. And as it works, um, I'll make Lee some coffee and give her some time with God. We'll rotate out. And the idea is that in the morning, those first two hours, we've all had a chance to spend time with God, to exercise. And while the one spouse is doing that, we're with the kids um, spending some time together. In most households now, this would be Sunday and you would go off to church. You would talk about it before and after. You would process what the kids learned at Kids Rock and that would be your kind of morning block of time. For us, we Sabbath from Friday 6pm to Saturday 6pm because Sunday is kind of a work day given our particular stage of life and occupation. So in our morning, what we'll try to do is head off to creation um, but without a mission. We'll try and enjoy, enjoy God's beauty. We'll try and remind ourselves that we're not the center of the universe God is he's in control and for our stage of life it's not like a hike mission it's not like we're trying to climb up something and get back down I mean the one time Constantia Nick we only got as far as like just out the parking lot we could still see all the cars we're sitting in a lovely little green patch with shade and all the kids are sitting there having their picnic and throwing things at trees and it was just actually so fun not to be on this mission all the time but to be enjoying God's beauty at an unhurried pace during lockdown we instance watched the free west end production of joseph and his technicolor dream code and if you're listening to this on good friday i think that jesus christ superstar is going to be played tonight and you can watch that with your family um if it's age appropriate I, I don't actually know but the idea would be to try and find some cultural thing some beautiful thing if creation is not possible um, at this time of lockdown to just enjoy god's creation in his beauty we'll obviously have lunch as a family and then we have the incredible practice of the afternoon nap oh parents lock your doors and kids are given alone time and this goes until about 3 p.m afterwards you have your sort of last block of time now if you've gone and done church in the morning this could be your moment to get into creation get onto the prom get to the beach you know uh, there's all kinds of options you need a pleasure stack and enjoy it pack a little picnic um generally leanne loves people this is what makes her come alive and delights I also love people, but generally my delight would be to go on an adventure with my kids and taking Paddy and the girls on the bicycle ride or uh, to go check the helicopters at the waterfront. And, and there are all kinds of options and all our personalities are different and we need to try different things every Sabbath. But we're purposely talking about God and just noticing and slowing down. The whole idea here is that we're not rushing from one thing to the next, desperately trying to get pleasure out of life, but we're ceasing and celebrating. And at the end we have dinner again and we Maybe light the candle one more time and bookend it and say, thank you, Jesus, for your rest. And let's carry this rest and this delight into the remainder of our weeks. And we feel as our Sabbath comes to an end that we have truly emerged different people. As Mark Buchanan speaks about Sabbath, quoting one last time from his book, The Rest of God, he says, it is letting go of 
for one day out of seven. All those parts of our identities and abilities in which we are constantly tempted to find our security, discovering afresh that we are his children and that he is our father and shield and defender. Describe the the ugly side of the Mourn household. That was the that was the good side. There's a tendency um, in our desire to practice Sabbath that we will first tend to overdo it. Maybe we'll pile rule upon rule and we'll police each other and we'll get wary of that. And so the pendulum will swing towards minimalism where we discover loopholes and we invent exemptions and rig shortcuts. And so we'll tend to swing between legalism and excuse making. But the idea would be to just keep going and to learn from Jesus this easy yoke as we adopt his lifestyle and this light burden as we constantly every week remind ourselves that the Lord reigns and that God is good. So God we come to you now and we pray that you will help us simplify our lives around what is eternally important that we will train in this practice of Sabbath. Jesus we declare that you are the way, the truth and the life. We I want to know your ways to be with you, to become like you, and to do what you would do. And I do pray that you will, in these strange days, do this deepening work in all of us. Where we don't come out the same people, but we are changed by you. The trajectory of our lives is towards seeing your kingdom established in our hearts and in our city. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.